Welcome to the Midcast, presented by the Mission Initiative Group of the Baptist Union of Scotland. Each month we will look at some of the key issues for mission in Scotland today. We'll bring you experienced voices, practical insights and unique stories, all focused on the mission of the church in Scotland. Hi, welcome to the Midcast. I'm Glenn Innes. Thank you so much for taking the time to download the Midcast. I hope you're going to enjoy today's episode. Before we get into today's interview, I really would want to let you know about a conference that the Mission Initiative Group are running on the 26th of November this year. It's going to be a day looking at innovation and new thought and new practice Uh, on church, on mission uh, here in Scotland. We're going to be hosting that at Easter House Baptist Church. It'll be a whole day conference and we are delighted to have Rich Robinson facilitating the day for us. We'll also be hearing from our new general director, Martin Hodson, at that day and hopefully he'll be outlining for us some of the ways in which he sees innovation and pioneering uh, as part of the future of the Baptist Union of Scotland. Keep your eye on the Scottish Baptist website at scottishbaptist.com for the opportunity to sign up and we'll let you know some more on upcoming episodes of how you can sign up for that day. We'd love to see you there. To today's interview, I had the privilege of going and sitting down with Andrew Clark in Aberdeenshire on a beautiful sunny Friday afternoon recently and we took the time to record a couple of podcast episodes In today's one, you're going to get the chance to hear Andrew talk about their experience of establishing, planting, building a church in uh, an area just on the northwest side of Aberdeen, uh, a kind of semi-rural area. And Andrew's a brilliant thinker and a great uh, practitioner, but more than that, he's just a wonderful godly man and it's always been my privilege to count him as a friend. And he's had a great influence on my life. And I hope that in this interview, you get the chance to encounter something of Andrew's mind, but also something of his character and his spirit as he shares with us their journey in planting Geary Church. And this is the first of, as I said, two interviews. So please do make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast so that when the next one comes out in a few weeks time, you get the chance to get it as well. Enjoy. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time today to join us and it's great to have you uh, on the podcast here and I'm really excited for our conversation. I'm genuinely, I've driven up here to Aberdeen and I'm super excited all the way up thinking, oh, this will be a fun conversation because I know your some of your story and I know the way you think uh, and I'm excited for our listeners to get to know you. So in terms of getting to know you, it would be really helpful uh, maybe if you could just tell us, who is Andrew Clark? Well, thank you, Glenn. Uh, I've been looking forward to this chance to, to chat about, uh, about all sorts with you. Um, who am I? I've brought up in a forces family, ah. which meant that inevitably I uh, moved house every few years and sometimes even moved country every few years. I went to a boarding school and, uh, for most of my uh, primary and secondary schooling. From there, I went off to university to study theology, and after that, I became, as it were, a professional theologian, researching and teaching in the New Testament. In 2007, my wife and I, with a few others, um, 
were involved in starting a pioneering church plant in the north of um, uh, Aberdeenshire. It's a simple church model, and we could maybe talk um, about that. And then much more recently, uh, back in 2000, August 2019, I became the director of the Northern Hub, new Northern Hub of the Scottish Baptist College. And there we're offering uh, colleges, uh, the courses uh, through distance learning. Ah, great. Okay, so, so new career for you in that, that I'm sure lots of people are going to hear a great deal about. Um, so the, the goal for that, just quickly, is a northern hub for the college uh, based out of Paisley, um, giving us what, some reach into the northeast or, or the whole of the north of Scotland for people to do distance learning. Is that the kind that, of thing? That's broadly it. And we're going to find different models, I think, for doing learning together. Some of it will be through um, video conferencing and uh, on other occasions we'll be able to find a space in the north, where there's a collection of people who want to do the same module and just work together on that. Brilliant. Uh, in terms of your professional career, so you uh, you did a PhD in theology in New Testament, is That's that right? That's right, yeah. Uh, and then did you go straight to Aberdeen University to teach? Or? I spent five years, I suppose it was some postgraduate, uh, postdoctoral work, but I was actually a uh, a research librarian in a specialist biblical studies research library and was able to do my own research during that time. That was for five years um, through until, from 1990 to 95. And then after that to Aberdeen to University? To Aberdeen. And you taught New Testament there? From 1995 through to 2015. Oh, 20 years. 20 years, wow. So a good long period. So we're talking to a professionally qualified theologian and a practitioner at the same time. And I love that combination. Yeah. It's really important to me. Yeah, great. And it's one of the reasons I'm so excited about this, uh, this conversation, because I know that you will keep me right on the theology, uh, and, uh, but also that your, your heart is not just to have uh, good ideas, but to figure out how some of that stuff lands in practice. Is yeah, that right? Absolutely. Great. Well, I guess that's a helpful segue, actually, to... Uh, turning to talk about uh, 2007 uh, that you mentioned in your story there, which is this, uh, the beginning of a church uh, that's called Geary Church. Um, and uh, So how did that come to be then? The Geary is the area, uh, the district, uh, the council area just north of Aberdeen. And there were a number of us who lived in this area who were attending Bridger Don Baptist Church. And we were travelling anywhere between 30 and 45 minutes to get into Bridger Don. And uh, one of the guys in that group felt a really strong call that we should be planting something new. And from there, we began to think about, yes, not simply new, but also different. And we started to explore the possibility of creating something uh, distinctively different. So you, you're talking about doing something distinctively different. What what drives the different? Is that just for culture's sake or something out of your professional setting? At that time, I was just coming to the end of a major research project that was uh, putting together uh, an understanding of Paul's theology 
of church leadership. And there were a number of questions to do with that that I couldn't sort out in my mind. Um, they were intractable. And the moment that I it dawned on me, the obvious observation that Paul was talking not about our churches, but about small groups of people that met around tables, suddenly these small passages in Paul's letters made sense. For most of us, we take these Pauline passages about church and church leadership and assume that they are relevant to us. But the location in a home makes all the difference. Can you give us an example of the types of passages you're talking about off the top of your head? One, I think, would be the place of women in ministry. Oh, okay. Once you recognise that this is within a domestic setting um, and the role that a woman has within her own home, which is the setting of the church, that changes the focus significantly. Or the place of of children, that's uh, also. uh, Or the significance of teaching. No pulpit. They're sat around. That changes the dynamic of how learning is done. The size of the group changes things massively. How pastoral care... There are so many issues that impinge from once you've reconfigured in your mind that this is in a relatively small domestic setting. And so we... We had that in mind together with a second problem, which was that we had been travelling quite a distance to get into Bridge of Don. And yet none of the few families out here lived close to each other. Ah. So we would still be travelling if we picked any one of our homes as the centre. So just for our our listeners, just to kind of describe the sort of area that we're in here, this is uh, what northwest of, uh, yeah, northwest of Aberdeen uh, in in a corridor along the main route to Inverness, the A96. It'd take half an hour to drive that corridor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And... uh, and, and I guess pr- probably described as primarily rural with some large, larger towns in it. Would that be a, the best description? That's right, market towns. Okay. Uh, so, so, that, so what you were saying was that if you'd chosen one of those towns uh, as your central locus, you wouldn't have overcome that problem of people travelling to it. So, sorry, I interrupted just to... But, so, so it... it gradually emerged that we should be multi-site, as it were, right from the beginning. You don't have to have a church of a thousand people before you go multi-site. We went multi-site as soon as we had uh, 30 people. Again, that's driven by this, uh, would it it be described as a theological conviction uh, around that modelling something of that early church sense of the church actually being quite small, being located in homes, um, and, and obviously, therefore, being quite local uh, to people, is that? That's right. And wanting to preserve that smallness with no ambition whatsoever for a group ever to feel large. Okay, great. Well, that, that begins to point towards something or perhaps the culture or the marks of what this church were, is. Um, so... Could you describe to us, you know, we're getting the sense of something small and in homes, but what was it about? What what are the marks of Geary Church? So it's modular. You can have any number of these groups. Um, But each of these groups consists of three to four families 
with whatever children or youth who are part of that. And these three to four families would meet together, the same combination of families, several times a month in homes. They could rotate around their various homes, around a table for lunch. So it's all about sharing lives and sharing food and learning from each other, including all the ages in that engagement. Size, it has to remain small. It has to be all engaging. Um, and there has to be food. That's what we discovered fairly early on. Okay. And the food, just a practical thing? Or does it do more than, more than that? I think generally we find that conversation can often go so much deeper when we're sat around the table and chatting. If any groups of friends, this is true. Nobody's looking at the clock and conversation develops. So it sounds very, uh, and I don't just mean this in terms of male and female, but obviously the whole range of this, sounds very egalitarian in in that there's a learning from one another, there's uh, there's no kind of leadership structure to that. So, so I guess, how, how has that functioned, um, or how does that function? Um, Structure is very, very limited. Okay. And leadership, there is leadership, but it's extremely low profile. Okay. And the tasks of the leaders within Geary Church are primarily to hold the church to its original vision. We could talk more about that, that's worth developing. Mm-hmm. And secondly to model what it is to share lives. So leaders aren't, for the most part, doing something distinct from everybody else, but modelling what everybody else should be doing. Okay. And that flattens the structure hugely. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, well, let's, let's look back to this before we, before we gallop past it. So you said hold the church to its original vision. So uh, there's almost two things in there. Uh, so the first is, what was that original vision then? The original vision was to remain small. We developed a number of, uh, I call them epithets. Uh, jokingly, a few people call them epitaphs <laughs> about what were significant for the church. Here are a few of them, and they still hold true 12 years later. Okay. The first is, small is beautiful. The goal is always to feel small, however large we grow in size. And we did grow to 120 at at one point, but it was about remaining um, a small feel. Secondly, church is not something I go to, but something that we are and something that we share. Uh, There was an observation that when the church grew the most, there were no church buildings uh, and that's some interesting implications from that. And from that, we felt that it was important to invest what money we had into people rather than property, our homes, and what we could offer in hospitality are key. We also liked the idea that broad impact in many communities is more important than high profile in one. Mm. And that leadership is about enabling. It's the active involvement of the many is much more preferable to the intensive involvement of the few. So leadership is about enabling others. 
to share in the same task that the leaders have. Fascinating. I'm almost at a bit of a loss to know how many of those we've got time to dig into. Let's let's pick a couple of them, though, because they seem really critical for us as we begin to think about what it is to innovate uh, in, the, in our context here in Scotland. It seems that you're way ahead of the curve there. You've been trying this now for 12 years. So um, you talked about no church buildings being almost part of the, the original vision. And uh, you said something interesting that, that the church had seemed to grow most when it had no church buildings. And that's an observation from the scriptures. Uh, and, you know, I think we could probably point to perhaps the church in China uh, and yeah. probably some other sorts of, uh, of those kinds of revival type of situations or, or just genuine growth of the church, that that's true. Um, interesting to make that almost a value or, or, or a key part of your vision could you maybe say a, a little more about how that's worked out? Because I know that while you're talking about meeting in groups here, the church also did gather together, like you 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 do gather together. So could you talk talk to that maybe a little? One of the questions that was raised from early on when we were planning this model was an awareness that as we developed more and more groups, there might be a loss of shared identity and so from the outset we agreed that at least once a month and perhaps twice all the different groups would meet together and we followed that pattern so the first Sunday in each month we come together in the the town that is most central to this broader area and that's where we do receive uh, age-specific learning. Okay. And we tend to lay out the theme of learning for the rest of the month. Okay. In outline, key issues, key areas that are worth exploring. And then in the, s- the separate groups in the subsequent weeks, um, individuals and groups can unpack some of these seed ideas... So they're not fed with the teaching. It's just introduced to them. One of the things that we discovered very early on is an awareness that many of us as believers have lost confidence in articulating our faith for ourselves and in unpacking scripture for ourselves. And I wonder whether that's one legacy of some of the churches where we receive the best teaching and you sit and you listen to this incredible gifting from the front and think I can't match that and from the very early days there it dawned on me that there were a few people saying but how can we handle the teaching in our small groups we're not professionals and it struck me that we needed a, a complete rethinking and a a reassuring of people that they can get back into feeling confident in handling scripture themselves. And there's, a, there's almost an irony there, isn't there? I, I want to be a little careful about how I put this, but you know, one of the great gifts of the Reformation to us was the putting of the Bible into the hands of the common people. And then almost because we have valued that so much, 
that the professional, people like me standing at the front doing the teaching, um, we've almost undermined that because we've left it thinking that, oh, it's only that guy up there. We're almost back to Catholic priests who read in Latin. Um, Not quite, and I don't mean that maybe quite as pointedly as it sounds, but so you're trying to uh, um, reframe some of the traditional church challenges for our current culture that are allowing people to then own their faith a bit more. And an upshot from that is that in principle, at least, any family can talk about faith around their own kitchen table. They don't have to wait until Sunday school on the Sunday before their kids learn anything about God and faith. Oh, that's I, I, such a key discipleship thing, that, that people are learning to disciple one another adults and children, children and adults, um, together. Brilliant. That, that, that's really exciting. I, I, I'm going to move on because otherwise we will be here all day. You, you talked about those as the kind of original marks of Geary Church. Have they remained the same? I, I, you know, 12 years is a long time in the life cycle of a church. Are you still committed to the same things you were when you began? The structure is broadly the same. Okay. And... Listing through those epithets again, it strikes me as they are still as firmly core to what we do. There's there's one other interesting one that I that I missed out, um, and that that was meeting with friends in the community is more important than meeting to plan church meetings. (laughs) It was about a freeing up of people within Geary Church, that Geary Church shouldn't absorb your time, mental space and energy. Okay. That should be for other activities. Okay. So, so that, that sounds critical to me. So let's, let's push on that for just a second. Mm-hmm. H- how do you do that, I guess, is the question. Because if you've got a church, it needs organised, things need put together, it takes mental capacity, and it definitely takes it away from the space. And you're saying... No, actually, we want to push towards giving people the time with their friends, people of faith and of no faith. How how did you make that happen? We were challenged really early on in a small leadership group. And we'd planned a, a leadership meeting one evening. And I remember one of the people saying, I'm sorry I can't make that because I've got a book club in my community that I'm a part of. And at that point, I thought, well, where are your priorities? And it suddenly dawned on me, (laughs) oh, those are your priorities. And that must become the pattern going forward, that we encourage leaders and all those in church to have multiple interests outside church. Uh, And therefore, church shouldn't occupy their headspace. And so presumably that has impact on how often you try to get people to meet. Uh, how many extra meetings you put on, that sort of thing. Is that... That's right. So we would meet on a Sunday. Yeah. And we and the adults would meet in the midweek. Okay. And related to that, for our Sundays together around the table, one of the rules that I've applied to myself is that I would never devote more than an hour or an hour and a half to prepare for a Sunday gathering. So it's on the Sunday morning 
that my wife and I would start talking about what would be happening that lunchtime. Because if I require to spend three or four hours to prepare and require other people to spend time for their contributions, then it suddenly becomes unsustainable as a simple church model. Fabulous. That's, uh, that's so helpful. I think some people will prick up their ears a little when you're talking about how much time or how little time, perhaps, is going into the preparation for that. But I'm sitting here with a theologian. This is not somebody who doesn't value the Bible or value those kinds of things, but is saying, no, actually, we can value those and at the same time not make it an all-consuming effort, that we can still have time for the other things that God has called us into or the things that we just enjoy doing. And often the extent to which we focus on teaching may be counterproductive to how much learning is done. So our focus is on the learning. I don't need to spend a lot of time preparing teaching because I'm after learning. <laughs> okay, you, you don't get to just say that and then stop. Okay, so what? how are you parsing those two words there then? Because I think for most of us, we talk teaching and we assume learning, but you seem to be saying those two things probably have a relationship, but they're not the same. So That's right, and the church is slow to catch up on this generally. But I think you'll find in the primary schools, in the secondary schools, in universities, that shift has already been made. It's the, the church that says we still need a lectern and a pulpit. Other contexts for learning realise it's about small groups, it's about discussion, it's about feeding on ideas and allowing those ideas to be uh, batted around and uh, learning through a group rather than from the front. Uh, I can hear some of my friends saying, but how do we guard the truth in that environment? We, we can't guard the truth. And so because there's somebody occupying a pulpit has never protected in the past a church from truth. And that's why we have these letters from Paul. Hmm. He did not come up with a model that meant he didn't need to write letters because they had the truth. Okay, that's great. And, and you're right, it goes back to that. If, we, if we're imagining Paul writing to a church of a thousand people, then that can be challenging. But your point that these are two almost large domestic situations and many of them, that Paul's actually all right with the fact that it's a bit messy because he's got then the opportunity to correct that and disciple and... Uh, all of that that's so, right and we um in this day and age have the opportunity to work on all sorts of different learning styles to accommodate them mm. as opposed to the sequential thought coming from the front we can we can do hands-on stuff we can enact stuff we can embrace all sorts of different people who prefer different models so very quickly to sum up, this was a different kind of church that was planted, not just and intentionally so, uh, it was started that way. Um, did it attract different kinds of people or, or has it predominantly been people perhaps a bit um, uh, disappointed with, with maybe more traditional forms of church who found life and health here or people who um, had no faith background? Over the years, Geary Church has generally attracted two different groups of people. 
the de-churched, those who have become disaffected yeah. with other models of church, and secondly, those who have been moving into the area, uh, and they have their faith and are looking for a church in this area. Those are the two dominant groups. Okay. And just to round that out, what what kind of, you know, we've talked a lot about the kind of internal, I was going to say structures, but lack, internal lack of structures, maybe a better way to put it. Um, how, how does mission find expression in Geary Church? How has it found expression? It seems to me that Paul says very little in the New Testament about the church engaging in mission. Okay. There's... One verse in which he talks about the church, um, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. But I think that's about the only verse that really talks about the church engaging in mission. And yet that's normally the context in which we talk about mission. But if you take the the third um, declaration of, of principle, it's about the individual believer in the church taking personal responsibility themselves for the evangelization of the world and I think we have tried to capture both Paul's emphasis that it's not about church programs looking after mission and relieving me of the responsibility to do that and going back to this declaration um, of principle in which the responsibility is on me to model it as a leader outside the church and encourage all those within Geary Church to engage in this. So mission happens outside the Sunday and outside church meetings for the most part. And so the, the mission is being carried by those who are part of Geary Church but in their scatteredness, they're, they're on mission. And I, But I know that that's found... Um, that's found expression in practical ways. So... I, People from Geary started the food bank, as I understand. Uh, there are people involved in street pastors and lots of other kind of organisational mission activities. Is that am I right with that? That's right, and and these are organisations that are outside Geary Church. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, uh, people obviously have the time to get involved in cubs and scouts and book clumps and um, amateur dramatic. Uh, things and gym memberships and all of these kind of things. Brilliant. I mean, your statement there uh, about uh, Paul and the church on mission and stuff, we are, uh, don't think I'm letting Andrew off the hook with that one. We're going to come back to that. We're actually going to record a second podcast with Andrew where I, I give him a right good prodding over that because I'm not convinced, but we'll come back to that. I, I want us to, to kind of round out the story of uh, Geary here because it, I think it's important. 12 years you've been on that journey. Um, I wonder if you might talk about that journey um, a little bit. What, what, how has that gone? What, what has been the journey? There inevitably have been highs and lows. The challenge through all of this, I think, has been to resist the strong, almost gravitational pull away from simple church to, I guess, our inherited models of church. And I think, I I talk about an inevitable gravitational pull. It's because I think any group of people in an organisation, as it grows in size and over time, 
almost inevitably becomes more structured and we need more, uh, more of a framework around this. And our biggest challenge has been how to resist retreating back into the known, tried and tested models of organisation. Okay. Okay. So what have been some of the major causes for celebration at Geary over those 12 years? Gradually, we've learned how to, to share lives, to be vulnerable, to talk about our faith, and to do it across the ages. The across the ages aspect, I think, has been, especially in the last couple of years, my biggest joy. I think I can say that in the last 18 months, uh, the one individual who has most challenged me in my faith by their life has been somebody who's just turned 13 years old and has done so in a number of different ways. I don't think he knows quite how much of an impact he's had on me, but I love that. that the teaching doesn't have to come from the front or the top or by the minister. It can come and must come right across. Learning in community is crucial to this. Yeah, I, I remember talking to uh, the guys from Crowded House Church in Sheffield many years ago, and one of the things they said is that the best learning is done over the kitchen sink, washing dishes, and yeah. just something practical. So, so here we have a, a theologian with a PhD, uh, 20 years teaching at one of our main universities, and he's learning from a 13-year-old. That's right. And it's so exciting. Yeah. Fabulous. Fabulous. And in all honesty, I mean, I think you're right to put that down as something to celebrate for Geary Church because there won't be many of our inherited churches where the opportunity for that will be there. I think that's key. I have been in churches in the past where um, visitors haven't even known who my, my, my wife is or my children because I would sit in a different part of the building from the rest of the congregation. Uh, this is all about transparent family relationship. And more than that, I want folks in Geary Church to know how and see how I relate to my neighbours. Hmm. Yeah. Geary Church, for all its difference, is still a church. And so I'm sure it's had some challenges along the way. I wonder if there are any of those that you could share with us that might be of help to us to know about. I think one from fairly early, the fairly early years was recognising that size isn't a goal, that growth in numbers isn't a necessary goal, and that the smaller we get, the more effective our growth in discipleship. There were times, I think, in our early days when, for a midweek meeting, a number of people would be away on holiday and the temptation would be, we cancel because it's holiday time. And I think we've now learned that when fewer people are around, um, other people are able to learn in, and engage in conversation in a way that they wouldn't otherwise have been. So size should never really preclude whether or not we meet. Jesus did he not say two or three. So if you get down to as low as two, you could still meet. 
And I think that was quite hard for us because our norm had been a midweek has to, to be feasible, has to have a minimum of this. A Sunday has to have a minimum of that. I think that was one of the, the major challenges in terms of a, a, a paradigm of how we view church. Just to wrap this up then, Andrew, um, what lessons have you learned as Geary Church that you think might be more widely applicable to the church uh, in Scotland, particularly to those of us in a Baptist context? I think in many churches, not just Baptist churches, and particularly in semi-rural Scotland, our biggest challenge is declining numbers. And I think we have here a completely different model that thrives on being small and relational and organic. And for this not only to be a theoretical possibility, but to be an actual one. Uh, I, I, I talk occasionally with folks who um, are saddened by the reducing numbers, and they talk the congregation has now got down to 30 to 20 and at that point, I want to say, well, just let it dwindle a little bit further and you will have the optimum numbers to leave the building behind and to meet around the kitchen table. I think, I think that could be really useful across semi-rural and rural Scotland. And I think another issue we can focus on is about being very, very intentional about church relationships being core, not the structure, not the programme, not the meetings, not the services, but simple, vulnerable sharing of lives in an organic way in the home. I think there's all sorts of potential benefits to allowing this to blossom across Scotland. Andrew, I think we'll stop there. That was absolutely brilliant thank you so much for sharing the story of Geary Church um, I hope that's been an encouragement to those of you listening um, and you know I, I want to encourage you I, I know uh, that any kind of church leadership work is, is hard work but what you are doing is is pioneering not only here in the Geary but actually pioneering for our whole union that you're you're prodding into places some of us are just beginning to wake up to so thank you for sharing the story and uh, i look forward to having you back on very shortly uh, to talk about one or two of those other issues that we raised thank you glenn that was our interview with andrew clark and a huge thank you again to andrew for giving us so much of his time uh, that friday uh, if you enjoyed that episode then let me encourage you please uh, subscribe to the podcast on whatever medium it is that you're using to listen to it it'll allow you to pick up each of our episodes as they come out and while you're doing that if you could take a moment just to give us a quick review it takes no more than 30 seconds then that would be super helpful for us to know what we're getting right what we're getting wrong but it also helps to promote the podcast and to allow other people to pick up what is going on uh, here as we look at mission in the Baptist Union of Scotland and wider around Scotland uh, I just want to take a moment just to let you know about a couple of other Scottish podcasts that I've become aware of that are either new or are just about to come out. So uh, my friend Mark Cameron has a podcast interviewing people just about their life. 
Um, it's not a particularly Christian podcast, but it is a really interesting insight into lots of different people's perspectives on life. Uh, and it's coming from a Scottish base, which is great because we don't have so many of those. So you can find that at the Mark Cameron Show. Again, look at all your different podcast apps for that. And then the other one, looking directly at the questions of Christian mission, is the Solas organization are currently putting together a podcast where they're going to be interviewing people about how we go about sharing our faith. That is due to launch any time. It is not yet out, but if you continue to, if you go on the Solas website, they will be able to uh, keep you in touch with what's happening with that, and we'll let you know more once the podcast is actually out and about. Thanks again for listening. Uh, my name is Glenn Innes. This has been the Midcast. We are out. You've been listening to the Midcast, a presentation of the Mission Initiative Group of the Baptist Union of Scotland.